This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello, and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, Captain Horn's Encounter. This comes from AnchoragePress.com. It's titled, Captain Horn's Encounter. Alaska Navy pilot shares his story of being chased by a UFO. Now, the actual encounter happened in Indiana. But they're interviewing this fellow up in uh, Eagle River, Alaska, which is actually like a community right uh, in and around uh, Anchorage there. Articles by a Lawrence W. Weiss, and I think it just actually came out on February 22nd, 2020. Starts off, it says, Captain Les Horn, United States Navy, retired, lives in Eagle River. Here he tells his story about a fateful flight in 1966 when he and his radio man were chased by a UFO. Captain Horn has extensive background in flight and airborne weapons system testing, 26 years of service, 5,600 hours flying time, and 34 aircraft type and models, and is a member of the Society of Experimental Test Pilots. He holds advanced degrees in physics, nuclear engineering, and energy resources. Wow, sounds like a really accomplished man. Uh, with a fantastic resume and a very impressive education. Definitely what we would consider a reliable uh, witness, at least on the face of it. It starts off, he says, We were flying a version of the A-4 that was used for carrier training. There was room for two pilots. You kind of team up with the guy you worked with, and you'd take turns on the radio or driving the airplane. We flew to Bunker Bunker Hill Air Force Base in Missouri. Now, I want to stop for a second. I believe that's a typo. I believe it's supposed to be Indiana, because Bunker Hill, which became Grissom Air Force Base, is what they're talking about here. So I do believe that's a typo. I do believe what they're talking about is the incident happened in Indiana. It goes on, it says, This was a late afternoon evening flight to try to get some night time. We departed right about sunset, and I was driving as we launched out of there, we started our usual climb. So climbing out of Bunker Hill, we were passing 16,000 feet for flight level 470. Usually when you're in the more powerful military aircraft, you can take the higher structure because the 30s are usually crowded with airliners. But there, but up there, we know we probably only had a military pilot to deal with. We were passing through the 20s, going into the 40s, and as we started out, we were talking to departure control, and he headed us off to Indianapolis Center, and that was about a half hour after sunset. And so, Indianapolis called up, and they said, we have Delta departing Chicago Midway. Now remember, Grissom Air Force Base, or what they're talking about back then, as as, uh, they referred to it differently, but it is uh, about halfway between... Indianapolis and South Bend, if you look on the map, they're right in the north central part of the state of Indiana, and it's due south of uh, Lake Michigan. So you can imagine 
they could be in the area of the Great Lakes Naval Academy and all that. He says, and so Indianapolis called up and they said, we have Delta departing Chicago Midway. We're passing through 16,000 on Route 330. Passing your 9 o'clock position, you will clear. And I look over and say, tell your traffic we continue to climb. Meanwhile, I picked up a blue dot of light. I expected him to call that traffic sooner or later because it's kind of crowded in the Indianapolis-Chicago axis. Then finally, this light was getting a little was getting a little lighter, brighter. So I said, "Do you have my traffic?" He's at my ten o'clock, passing left to right, and I wait one minute, silence, and he says negative. I said, "Well, traffic in sight." He's at my nine o'clock, passing to my six. And another voice came up, probably a supervisor, and said, Triple five, the plane identification number. Say you've had contact. And I said, well, he's now in my 10 o'clock position, and level appears to be closing distance unknown. So we see from this conversation that um, the pilot of the, of the uh, Navy airplane has spotted this unidentified object. He's describing where it's at to air traffic control. And they're basically telling him there's no airplane out there. So at this point we know that it is that he spotted a UFO. And we also know that the air traffic controller supervisor is involved. Which leads us to believe possibly that the ground control had already spotted the UFO. He says, I didn't have it. I flew an attack air... I flew an attack airplane. We didn't have in-flight radar. We had radar to ground, he said. Negative traffic. But he kept asking me, and I kept telling him, I'm still flying on my departure heading, and this light, I didn't know what it was, came around behind me and then in front of me. Mind you, I could, couldn't tell you because I had no point of reference. This is at night. Black night. The moon wasn't up yet. That light could have been light outside of my instrument, right outside of my canopy, or it could have been 10 miles away. I didn't know where it was, but it maintained, it looked like to me, kind of a constant distance. But it came around me. I was taking, I was talking to center all the time and telling them, and it came around and it took a position on my wing. And I say on my wing, but I didn't know how far away it was, and there it sat. So you can just imagine what's going through this guy's mind. He's flying this Navy aircraft. He has spotted the UFO. He's called into ground control. And while he's trying to describe the thing to him, it's circled around him, and there it is. Now it, it's just cruising along right next to his wing, and he really can't tell how far away it is because he's in pitch black. He can't judge distance. He can't just judge the size of it. He can just see it there. He says, I kept on talking to the center and was a little upset that he wasn't painting, that he wasn't painting this contact, seeing it on the other radar. Because it would hit me, you know. It was an airplane. And he kind of went along like that for a while. The area of light was kind of diffuse. I couldn't really tell what it was. We were just proceeding along there when by now I was in the 40s. I'm assuming he means 40,000 feet, roughly on course, and this guy was still there. It's obviously formatting on me, tracking as if in formation. Now let's stop and think about this. 40,000 feet is fairly high altitude. You know, most of your commercial aircraft are flying in the 30, 35, 
maybe 40,000, but in the 30,000 feet, as he referred to earlier. Whatever this thing was, it followed him right up to an altitude of 40,000 feet. Now we know it wasn't a little Cessna Piper plane or some, you know, uh, recreational flyer at this point. This is pretty aggressive um, action by this unidentified flying object as it's trailing this Navy uh, fighter plane. He goes on and says, and I asked my backseater, Jim, are you seeing what I'm seeing? He says, I sure as hell do. Then I asked him the fatal question. I said, would you like me to check out the contact? Wait one, another voice came up. I know that this is like the triple supervisor. And he said, you're clear to cruise. You have a contact in sight question. I said, Roger, still no joy here. He said, you're cleared to cruise. That's something when you're flying on instrument readings, you seldom hear from the FAA. Cruise means that you can go anywhere, fly any speed, go to any altitude, and they will follow you and they will keep anybody from hitting you. So that freed me to do what I had to do. When you are formatting, especially when you don't want to have extreme length rate of closure at night because you don't have the depth of perception. I just dropped a wing for a second, and so that maybe will change my direction about two degrees. And we were just sailing along like that. I was trying to keep a line of chatter up just to maintain that I had good communications. So as long as this thing started coming into focus, it didn't have any navigation lights. Normally, you can tell from an airplane, they're, they're required to have like a red and green light defined. You can see the span of a wing, and usually military aircraft have dim lights in the fuselage, so you can have formation lights. But of course, it didn't have that. If it was an airliner, you would have had window lights, and you would get some perspective from that. I didn't see anything within any realm of experience to help me identify what this was. So we can see this pilot's going after this object. It's not just like ball lightning or uh, swamp gas or something like that. He has... He has identified this object. It seems like it must be some sort of solid uh, object, this light, that's chased him down. Now he seems to be chasing it. As I got closer, he said, it appears the light, it appears the lights, that's lights plural, are moving in a clockwise direction, and there's a dome light. All of a sudden, I started to get some perspective about the hard structures of this object. I never used the words UFO in the Navy. It's a, bo it's a bogey, and they picked up and used that terminology with me. I never really went along with all the UFO stuff I heard about. You know, like I was taken away by an alien who gave me a pathological examination. I didn't go along with any of that, but now this was happening. This was different. Now, something that I didn't understand was in my world, and it was kind of uncomfortable. I knew that this was a large object, and if the guy in a plane next to you puts on power or takes off power, you can hear it immediately because you're close to that very high-velocity stream of theirs. It turns out that the sound pressure level varies as the seventh power of the exhaust velocity, so you can imagine when somebody applies a lot of power and maybe goes into afterburner, your airplane actually shakes, and you can hear the roar of that engine through the space between you. I have gone dry just talking about this, really. Now, see, what he's trying to get to here is whatever this thing is he's chasing, or has been chasing him, there should have been some kind of physical interaction between his airplane and that object.
It's just simple physics, really, that when you're moving something that big through space, that it's going to leave a wake, that it's going to hear the, the roar of that engine, you know, in that vacuum or in that space between him and the object he's behind, but he's not hearing any of this. What I'm going to tell you now happened in about three seconds. I said it's pulling ahead, and then I stopped talking because it started accelerating and then climbing, and then it went straight up. All those lights, dome lights and rotating lights around the craft, just disappeared in a point, and then disappeared in the star field, and it was gone. And I said, it's pulling away, and I stopped talking for a long time. And then the older guy's voice came up and says, 5-5, five, five, radio check, are you still there? And I said, Roger. I said, the boogie just pulled out, and I have no contact with it. The FAA never saw this object. Then it was kind of very businesslike, and nobody ever said anything about aliens, and we were very professional. They knew things that I didn't know, and that's why I think there was a lot of interest on the ground. Basically, I knew that I was looking at a very non-Newtonian object. When this object was formatting on me, and I closed it with what's, and I closed with it. That's when it started that rapid departure. But I did notice that this that its motions were not like the way an aircraft would fly. First of all, when I said non-Newtonian, there were no wings suspending or holding this object up against the forces of gravity. And also, it moved in very jerky motions, especially when it started accelerating away from me. Any structure that I was familiar with would have just torn itself to pieces pulling away like that. That's a very good point. You think about man-made materials or man-made aircraft. They're limited to the number of G-forces they can withstand. And just like he says, if this was something from this world, the way that thing was jerking back and forth, it would have pulled itself apart. And that puts me in mind of some of these uh, Navy uh, cockpit videos that we've seen, the Tic Tac videos and such. When these UFOs are just flying at, at uh, superhuman speeds and they're moving back and forth at G-forces that would kill a human... But, you know, it wouldn't just kill a human. It would kill human-built materials. I mean, if these things were made through some top-secret program from the Navy or whatever, we, from the technology that, that we at least are familiar with, these things do not conform to Newtonian physics. Anything man-made would tear itself apart just going through those maneuvers. And we see that with the Navy videos that came out here a while back, and we see that with what this gentleman's talking about right here. He goes on, he says, Captain Horn got home about 2 a.m. I just couldn't sleep thinking about this. I got up and went to the dining room table and started going through some paperwork. That was about 3 o'clock in the morning. At 5 o'clock in the morning, there was a thud on the front door, and it was the Washington Post. I picked up the paper and went to the table and opened it. What do you think that headline said? Many UFO sightings reported over Indiana and 48-point type. This article, based on presentations made by Captain Horn in April 2018 at the University of Alaska Anchorage, it has been edited for length and clarity. And they've also got some pictures on there. They're pretty cool. So, at the end of this really um, bizarre UFO sighting, then Captain Horn informs us that the next thing he knows, there's an article coming up in the Washington Post 
headlined, Many UFO Sightings Reported Over Indiana. Well, it certainly wasn't him reporting them. So we don't know if he just happened to see a UFO that many other people saw, or perhaps um, the ground control that he was talking to was related, um, somehow involved in this press story, uh, maybe trying to control the narrative of these UFO sightings, or maybe they had nothing to do with it, and this just happened to be a case where he was uh, observing this UFO uh, from the air at 40,000 feet plus, while other people on the ground were observing it on the ground and making their own UFO reports. Either way, what what it does for my mind is, and I'm sure for Captain Horn, is it just it simply verifies that he saw what he saw. I found this uh, report especially interesting because the source is so good. Uh, we're dealing with a professional pilot, a Navy pilot, and a, a guy with a with a strong background in science, in Newtonian science, and a guy with a strong uh, background in education in general. He, he, a, just a solid witness. And just to hear him describe how this how this UFO just, first it, it appears like a light. It just comes out of nowhere. It follows him. It trails him. It's just setting out there on his wingtip. And when he turns and goes to follow it, it's almost like a little bit of cat and mouse. And then as he follows this thing up in the atmosphere, up to over 40,000 feet, he can actually make out the craft. Describes the lights surround the craft. Sounds almost like a classic uh, large saucer mothership type type sighting where you have uh, lights, on t- uh, lights on top of the vessel, lights around the sides of it, and lights on the bottom. Where it appears to have a very physical form. But then as he tries to approach it a little bit closer, this thing just does something crazy. It just blasts into outer space. And I've heard this said many times before where pilots spot these things, and they say that it disappeared into the star field. Now, we don't know if that's just because it's moving away at such a high rate of speed or if it's undergoing some kind of interdimensional transmission, interdimensional transition, rather, where it just disappears into another dimension and we just aren't aren't seeing it. And we are, we are interpreting that interdimensional shift as some sort of high-speed uh, transfer from here uh, to the star field. At, at, at any rate, it's really hard to, to wrap your mind around, and you really have to ask yourself, how does this thing shift from an orb of light to this giant mothership to just simply disappearing into the star field? It really makes you... Make sure you're aware that, as the pilot said, these things are not conforming to Newtonian physics, whatever they are. And that's a good place to start when we try to define just exactly what they are. We know that they don't seem to be bound by the laws of physics in our world. So are they something from another dimension that's outside our laws of physics? Or or are they simply some craft... Uh, that is so beyond our technology that they've that they've been able to develop a way that they don't have to abide by the laws of physics in our world. All great questions to ask. Until next time, this is UFO Warning saying over and out.